Season 2 of Hard to Believe is a proud part of the Cage Club Podcast Network. You can find this and other great shows at cageclub.me. The complete Season 1 archive is also available at hardtobelieve.me. This show is now available on YouTube. Just search Hard to Believe Podcast. You can email me at john at cageclub.me. We're on Facebook at Hard to Believe Podcast. And you can follow me on Twitter at ProbablyRealJB. That's P-R-O-B-A-B-L-Y-R-E-A-L-J-B. The show is written and produced by me. One year ago, after so many guest appearances as the go-to religion and philosophy analyst on various Cage Club shows, I decided to spin off my own series. I wanted to explore the things human beings believe and how those beliefs manifest themselves in our culture. For the show's first episode, I talked with Joey Lewandowski about how the character of Dana Scully in The X-Files captured the nature of belief, religious and otherwise, especially in the 1990s. That discussion would directly and indirectly shape much of that first season. A year later, the world has changed a lot. And so we decided to do it again, and this time with recurring guests Jess Collins and Mike Manzi. I asked them all to weigh in on what stories they think capture the moment we find ourselves in and help us better understand the existential dread and uncertainty the last 12 months have brought. I'm John Brooks, and this is Season 2 of Hard to Believe. Welcome to the first episode of the second season of Hard to Believe. I am joined with uh, three of my guests from last season, Jess Collins, Mike Manzi, and Joey Lewandowski. Uh, so I'm going to say hi to each of you in a row, and you guys can say hi back so that we don't talk over each other. Hello, Jess. Hey there. How's it going? It's going great. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. I'm so excited to be back and to talk about uh, who knows what. Who knows what? Mike, how are you doing? I'm doing good, John. Glad to be here. Glad to have you. And Joey, how are you? I am good, John. Hello. Welcome welcome back to the show. Thank you for being here. You sound really nice today. Is it? Is it because of a new microphone that you have? It is a new microphone. Know. It's a new everything. It's a new year, new me. <laughs> And you're vaccinated too, right? So you're fully like vaccinated, a, baby. Nice. Me too. We have upgraded into the next All stage right. of humanity. Licking uh, doorknobs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll be able to go to the Coney Island doorknob licking contest this summer. I'm really looking forward to. Really yeah, all that out. has changed since I got my vaccination is now I wear two masks instead of one. So I have upped my game even more. So that is all that has changed since last March. Thank you very much. I still just wear one mask, and I I'm I'm around. Oh, double, you got a double mask, baby! It's eight times more effective. Right. This is this is a <laughs> this is if Seinfeld came back, right? Two no, masks no, no, or one, is, Jerry? I double this mask. Is actually, I don't know. I like the one mask. I don't. Seinfeld. Let's not let's not get started on Seinfeld. I'm uh, I'm up in the air about Seinfeld right now, but I will say right now, one mask is about forty five percent effective. Two masks about ninety six percent effective. It's a seven and a half times increase. If you're out there, wear double masks. First, a surgical medical grade mask underneath, then a cloth mask on top, and seven and a half times safer, only allowing a fraction of the particles through. So if you're out there, backs or not, double mask, baby. Uh, Joey got a doctorate in immunology since the last time that we've had him on the show, in case you're wondering. <laughs> I read um, a lot of things. <laughs> He's in advertising now. 
he he is. So Joey, a year ago, um, uh-huh. a lot of a lot has happened in a year. Um, but a year and a year ago, you and I sat down to uh, record the very first episode of this podcast. Mm-hmm. And the topic of that episode was the X Files. Yep. Um, yep. You remember all this? I sure do. I'm going to watch the X Files tonight. We're watching Jose Chung and. Uh... What's the next one? Avatar. I'm watching with friends tonight. So Jose perfect Chung time. Perfect time. Fantastic episode. Um, you can listen to that conversation. It is still uh, in the feed and on the YouTube channel and all of that good stuff. Uh, but Joey, uh, you know, it's kind of funny because you sort of suggested that topic. And I was sort of thinking about uh, the X-Files in the context of you know, sort of the psychology of the 1990s and the way that that influenced uh, sort of the um, cultural landscape of right now. And, um, you know, it was it was a, a pretty, went a lot of different directions. And it's, it's interesting because that episode really sort of, um, in a lot of ways, like it informed a lot of what uh, we, we talked about on the show throughout sure. that yeah, entire, yeah. entire season. Um, so I, I kind of wanted to do a similar thing uh, today, which is to think about you know if you are you know 20 years in the future or whatever it is and 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 looking at the landscape of what the world is like right now which again is very different from what it was a year ago um and what are the stories uh movies television shows even books um that that you think really kind of capture the the moment um of of right now well so i was thinking about this and i was thinking about how did it really kind of define the world and society where we are now and i think like objectively it's terrible but i think that we're getting through it through humanity and finding the good in the bad and i think two shows specifically and one that i would like to spend more time talking about because i am actively re-watching it as a continuation of something we talked about last year as well um both of Damon Lindelof's last two shows, Leftovers and Watchmen, both, I think, really focus on a world where most of the things have gone to shit, and yet there are still people and things in the world sort of propelling everyone forward. And I think, obviously, you know, The Leftovers begins with a cataclysmic event where 2% of the world's population just disappears, um, and no one ever knows why, and yet people persevere and people go on. And as that show goes on, more and more bad shit happens. And yet people still persevere and move on and find joy and laughter and, you know, get through it however they can. So I think The Leftovers especially, again, still firmly cemented as my favorite show of all time, which says something, I think, about me. Um, It's just so wonderful in the shared, the communal experience of absolute misery. I absolutely agree with everything Joey said, which is well, so, so rare that, that Joey and I agree on, <laughs> <laughs> on things. But yeah, that show, um, along with the book, really like have just left an impression on me. Um, Leftovers is a show that I continuously talk about. Um, my cousin and I watched it. I've actually watched the first season twice. So far, and I'd like to go back and watch it again, just, I mean, it is absolutely, like, gut-wrenchingly depressing, but also, Mm -hmm. like, it also shows you that even with all of this sad stuff happening, um, which is feels so relevant for today, there's good stuff happening, too, and, I mean, Mm -hmm. you kind of just have to, you have to keep going. So, so Joey, as it pertains to Watchmen, um, what is it about 
the Watchmen series that you think is um, so relevant? Well, I think what's weird and weird is the wrong word because I think it's like, I can't believe that like when, when, so, okay. So taking a step back last year on our last lap of too fast, too forever, Mike joined us for both machete and machete kills. And we were like, Oh my God, can you believe the foresight Robert Rodriguez had back in like 2009 or whatever to talk about like, what's essentially a Donald Trump character. And it's like, Oh, wait a minute. Like if you just step out of your privileged white man box for a second, it's like, this has never really been good for a lot of people. And I think what Watchmen does really well is it takes the things like the horrors of Tulsa and the race riots and black wall street and just the absolute awfulness of the systemic and historic racism in this country. And it's like, Hey dummies that, you know, not even necessarily your fault, just like not taught in school. Um, Bad things have been happening for a long, long time. And you think like race riots and stuff and like racial tension is bad now, but like it's been bad for like centuries. And I think what Watchmen does is frames that within a world that's accessible to people who like comic books. And it is, and I know Mike knows this because I've seen every time I like one of these posts on Instagram, I know that he's already liked it, but it's amazing to see how many times Damon Lindelof will like side by side screenshot something from Watchmen with something of the news, um, specifically around like how cops behave generally. And again, it's like, I can't believe how insightful the show is. It's like, well, no, you just have to kind of be aware and awake to what's going on. And I think framing in a world of super heroicism or whatever the noun would be, um, really makes it palatable because otherwise it would just be so so sad yeah i love watchmen i think you're right joey like that helps it that helps the uh, medicine go down right it's it's the little bit of sugar i feel and i think that is uh pretty much the same for the comic you know that it originates from like the show is a great continuation of that it's a true continuation it's a it's a real sequel to the comic book and um both deal deeply with trauma you know not just personal trauma uh with individuals but trauma in history like the trauma that of our country and and what that means and deep deep conspiracies um hard racism like all these things that are still there like you're talking about joey that i think the show does well is shines a light on that for people who don't deal with that on a day-to-day basis and really slaps you in the face deservedly and um i think trauma kind of defines a lot of the shows that i ended up gravitating towards over the last uh four to eight years you know that that uh the art that has been uh produced follows along that theme a lot i feel and um watchmen just like yeah i think it nails all of that uh, really, really well. And plus it has like an amazing budget and an amazing writer. And I think a lot of that stuff also with the leftovers and Watchmen and Lindelof uh, traces back to Lost as well. That is a show I think that defined television at one point, you know, um, maybe not as hard as the X-Files, but it also is rooted in trauma and loss and things of that nature. And so I don't know, I think that um, realizing that we are all collectively going through the same terrible things helps it helps us individually possibly deal with that, you know, knowing that on some grand scheme, some grand level, we aren't alone, that we are all ex- experiencing these things, um, if not together, like in some similar way, you know, so. Yeah, so to that point, I, you know, there's, there's a couple things that 
what you guys both just said that sort of um, stick out to me. And one is that the the Watchmen graphic novel, I think, also is if I was to pick like a uh, an intellectual property of the 1980s that serves a similar function, and that it really sort of captures the um, the the spirit and the sort of existential angst of the time. Like I would pick that um, because the you know, the original Watchmen deals with so many of the um, you know, sort of cultural struggles of the 1980s and and the sort of loss of identity and and um, and the sort of post Nixonian uh reagan era um you know moral panics and uh, all all that sort of stuff right and and what i love about what lindelof does is you know when he said it was a um a remix and not a remake i'm like come on dude what are, what are you talking like what, what does that even mean right and then i was like oh no that's actually a really great way to describe like he was right um it's not it's not a sequel and it's not a remake uh it really is taking the dna of watchmen and translating it into something um you know 30 years or 20 years whatever it is later um and to the to the to the lost element of this I, joey I'm, I'm sure that if i were to ask this same question and say what is that show for the first decade of the 2000s that you would definitely say lost and and it's so it seems like lindelof um is sort of speaking your your language as kind of the uh the fictional chronicler of uh the, the the 21st century so far well i always i and i don't know why because nobody ultimately cares but i tried to always put into perspective like my favorite shows of all time and i it, i think i just found it easiest to say that like he made my favorite show of the 2000s in lost he made my favorite show of the 2010s in the leftovers and then like if Watchmen had come out like six months later it would have been like my favorite show of the 2020s too right so mm-hmm. just whatever he's doing and I think it's just we've talked about this, I think, before on maybe on the X-Files episode a little bit, but also on the Leftovers episode and just offline for sure. Just the way that he's able to combine all of those things and just the way he combines suspense and mystery with like religion and just weirdness, like it just scratches an itch for me. And I think he's able to do all that in a way that isn't just like fluff entertainment. It's actually telling an important something or other, right? Jess, what's your what's your pick? I mean, I feel like this is turning into a Lindelof show. <laughs> That's okay. I mean, because I I also loved Lost, and I actually didn't watch Lost while it was on television. I watched it um, a few years ago, and I mean, Watchmen. It's just I. So I live in a state where you know a lot of this stuff is really prevalent here. Um, like racism and all of that stuff. So all of that feels like it's hitting really close to home. So watching these types of shows really resonates with me because it's something that I've always seen my entire life. And, you know, what's a small, you know, 120 pound girl going to do about it? (laughs) Not a whole lot. Yeah. And I, I guess it's like, you know, one of the difficulties with this is, is, kind of figuring out of the recent of recent events of of sort of may you know major um national events which one stands out the most as the one that will define the next you know 10 years or so and is it um is it race which is always i mean defined america in a certain way but but you know whether or not that's going to be um more overt uh, going forward or is it you know 
sort of fascism or is it like this this sort of religious paranoia um the the feeling of uncertainty and you know one of the things that i love about um leftovers especially is the way that it captures um how people respond when something uh unlikely or unprecedented happens right it's not really about like it never really gets into it's never really was never really about like what the um departure actually was it was it's always about how people react to it, right? That's 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 always the focus of of that of that story. Um, and somehow it's never good and always good at the same time. Like it's right. it's, it's amazing <laughs> right. how it's like like I just rewatched the episode today. We're spoilers for season three, where Kevin Senior is in Australia and he's talking to that woman about how she was like downtown shopping when it all happened and like she comes back and her whole family's gone. She's like, they all departed. And then like months later, she finds out that like the five kids, the dad departed and the five kids go to look for her because they don't know if she's back or whatever. And they all died together. It's like, what the fuck is going? Like, how is this? But it's like, it's beautiful in a way that's absolutely devastating, but yet she goes on. Right. So that's a character we don't really know, like to bring such emotional resonance out of a character that, it was not really in the show before that point and does not really come back in a big way. Like amazing. You know, before we started recording, Jess and I were talking about um, someone that is in her family who is uh, not a COVID denier, but someone who believes that COVID is now not real. Uh, it has apparently been solved by the stimulus. I, I <laughs> neither of us are quite sure how that works. Um, but, you know, one of the things that I, that, made me think of the leftovers so much in recent months is the way that reality has been um sort of cut into right that it's it's been distorted that there's there's this whole sort of major subset of the american populace who appears to have responded to this unprecedented global crisis um by denying that it's real and mm-hmm making mask wearing a sort of a almost cultish uh or not mask wearing like a cultish practice it's a political um, statement yeah but it's it, it but it feels like it's even beyond a political statement like i feel even calling it a political statement is too flippant it well is i a, mean politics was more than politics right politics became cult so right yeah. well that's yeah. The, yeah. Part, part of it also feels to me like um uncontrolled like involuntary that it's almost like the mind in shock once it has a certain amount of information and doesn't know how to process it kind of thing i don't know i feel like i see that stuff in in shows and things and now i'm seeing it in real life where truth deniers like what is that like i don't understand it so it has to be something like a switch that goes off it's hard to understand when you're not part of that you know i don't know yeah, and and you know, again, leftovers was always about what happens, how people react when when something unexpected or unexplainable happens, and and you know, I I think the the relevance of it is is so much more apparent to us now, um, because it's 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 weird to say that um, the thing <laughs> like the thing that defined the first decade of the 21st century and the thing that will have defined the third decade, right. Um, both happened like, you know, nine 11 is obviously right. The first one. And then COVID is going to have been the thing that defines the, the twenties 
um, in in one way or another. Uh, so it's 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 strange that we've had these sort of um, really dramatic events uh, happen at the beginning of those two decades. Uh, but in both cases, it created um, a, a a rift in people's interpretation of reality in a way that I don't think a lot of people were expecting. And especially because, right, they happen in America, right? Like ter- massive casualty terrorist attacks happened all over the place that weren't America for a long time. But when it happened in America, right, that's different because it's not supposed to happen in America. And this kind of a pandemic, right? Like the Chinese have been wearing masks when they get sick regularly all the time. And America, you know, with its freedom and like, I'm just going to look out for me attitude, right? Having to sort of be coerced into that. um, There is a sort of, it's an event that fundamentally makes you sort of shift your way of life and, the way that leftovers especially um, observes like what that entails, right? I think is, is probably it's lasting um, what makes it a rewatchable and enduring uh, series. Mike, what movie or TV show or book or whatever else video game, even if you want um, (laughs) is, is do you think is the, is the defining one for, for our time? Yeah. So I don't, I don't think I actually have the answer to that question. You know, I was trying to think of these like um, monumental uh, TV moments, you know, like we've definitely brought up very, very strong ones with, uh, with Watchmen and leftovers and stuff. And, um, you know, one that, one that comes to mind that I don't really feel is sort of um, prevalent necessarily tonight is Twin Peaks, the return. Like for me, that was a big show, but I don't think that it, necessarily that society shifted because of it you know like i think it, it it had it gained some new fans and it lost some old fans like that's kind of some you know that's what the mainstream i think will be remembering it for but for me um i i love that show uh, near and dear i've already watched it three times in in its entirety um yeah. I'm not exactly sure what David Lynch is trying to say about modern day through through a lot of that, aside from it's a living nightmare. Uh, maybe that is uh, the takeaway for most of it, um, which would be apt. Uh, but like my, fa- I'll tell you my favorite show over the last, um, you know, I guess since it came out in 2017, my favorite show uh, right now, even still, is Legion, um, which is a Noah Hawley show. He's sort of the FX wonder kid who uh, had Fargo. And I believe he's working on uh, a couple new shows, maybe an alien show or something like that at the point, at this point. Um, but I think the reason I gravitated towards this show so much is because it kind of continued the themes that we've been talking about with the shows mm-hmm. that were such a success with grief and trauma, depression, uh, like Legion is about David who thinks he's a schizophrenic but turns out to be the world's most powerful psychic mutant he is the son of charles xavier yes he is an omega level mutant and um you know he's sort of approached by a group of other mutants sort of a proto x-men team and they uh, take it's kind of like um you know therapy basically is what the show is you know they talk him through his trauma he relives his past um and then eventually loses control loses his mind and becomes, you know, a supervillain and they have to save him in season three. But um, that sort of those themes um, 
are like running throughout a lot of the shows I'm watching still, like Doom Patrol, WandaVision. Like it's weird how superheroes or comic book characters help explain a lot of that to someone my age growing up in like the 80s and 90s who was inundated with all of that pop culture imagery and stuff. Like I respond so well to seeing a character like that go through something very real, something that I, you know, you don't expect heroes to have a chink in the armor things like a lot of that is true like you just don't think these guys um will crush under the weight of the world and responsibility but like they're probably the first people to do that you know they're they're just as human as the rest of us and you know super flawed so um that show i feel like it it, it definitely serves multiple rewatches it, it gets very psychedelic it breaks a lot of rules of just normal television storytelling uh and everything so i think like um aside from just what it's trying to say it's a gorgeous show to watch legion and um you know i think it left like a wake of um sort of like positive like reinforcement when talking about things like mental health like uh i just see a lot of that on television now and i think that's a really good thing so um for me that sort of jump-started a lot more of that um sort of uh seeking out a lot of that type of media to watch yeah it's a good it's a good answer i um i i sort of overlooked legion i i mean i've watched it and uh i also uh you talking about it sort of makes me kind of reappreciate um that series and i i think you're right though it does it does now that i'm thinking about it really fit in with uh the mood of 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 the time um and sort of you know a depiction of uh or sort of an analogous depiction of sort of where we are yeah it seems like the themes here you know that that we are kind of gravitating towards tend to be on the very sort of human psychological level um and I, I think there's a lot going on right now. And I think there's a lot that's like defining uh, America right now. And I do think that the existential angst, the sort of um, psychological trauma part of it, right, is is we see it in a lot of these series, even if it's not the primary focus. Um, it, it seems to be sort of, you know, penetrating more and more. Um, you know, Lovecraft Country, right, is another good example of this. And like, th- there's this, there's this sense in all of these um, big shows, right, of one of like that being a major part of its DNA. You bring up WandaVision. I think that's another great example. I, I think if WandaVision were a show that was going to last several seasons and like keep telling the story the way it's telling it, that it may very well be a sort of age-defying show. Um, as it is, it's it's a six six episode work of art, but um or nine, nine episodes, episode, sorry. But yeah. Uh work of art. But um yeah, it's it's really interesting observation. I think Legion's also a great example here and i actually just finished last night a book called threats which is written by a woman named amelia gray and she was in the writer's room for the show maniac which i know that mike watched this year that i watched this year for the first time that's great and she was also in the writer's room for mr robot um that's another one and i haven't seen mr robot yet because i haven't had anybody in my life i know that like i will probably like it but i haven't had that one person's like you need to watch this now so i was actually just talking about it this week because of threats because of amelia gray but so the reason i bring up threats is because that book is about a man whose wife dies in the first like six pages and 
it's kind of unclear that she's dead because like the whole like the first sentence on the back of the book is like a man's wife died but he doesn't know how and she also might not be dead and like the whole book the whole world of the book is it's a metaphor i think for loss and grief and death and trying to cope but it's just like the world feels like it's melting in this book and so as i'm reading it it has not been adapted into anything but i was picturing dan stevens in the role because of what he did as david on legion and then also just coincidentally i realized after the fact that the character in the book's name is david also so i'm like oh i could just you know step back into that david shoe <laughs> but like i think that there is something beautiful about the chaos and like thankfully i have not suffered that type of absolute devastating loss yet i know that it's coming because that's what life is but there's something that's so poignant and profound and relatable to someone who just whose literal world has been turned upside down by a loss that they cannot explain and then portraying that as this world where like a woman just lives in his garage doing you know psychic readings and like gets stung by wasps all the time and like the police have like a secretary who's like an eight-year-old boy and he just like works at the police station like all these like surreal world elements that make no sense but it's just like legion where it's like why are they doing a bolero dance i don't know but like it's cool like it kind of fits into the world and so um, I think there's a lot of like understanding and coping with and adapting to and from or whatever personal loss that is, you know, because the it's again, what's the saying? It's like a million deaths, like one death is a tragedy, a million deaths is, is a statistic. Like mm-hmm. we have 500,000 COVID deaths or whatever. And like it, it, you, the brain can't process that. But like if you know one person who died from it, it's like it's horrible. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, I think there's something really beautiful about how art can share the depths of absolute personal loss and that even if you haven't had like a wife who dies like you know to a certain extent what that must be like um jess you're you're a big book person um is there any anything that you've read in the last year or so that you think is um speaks well to the the time we're in you know i read a book so joey was talking a lot about trauma and loss so i read a book um, last summer. It's called If You Tell. It's a nonfiction book about, um, I believe it's three sisters, and their mother abuses them. So they have a horrific childhood. Um, this is going to completely spoil the book, but um, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, one of their family members, their cousin, comes to live with them. And the mom, you know, she's abusing the children. Uh, she starts abusing the cousin, and then um, they bring in a caretaker. The mom starts to completely just destroy the mental state of the caretaker and eventually murders her and just buries her in the backyard. Um, the cousin decides to tell someone, um, this is all based on a true story, and she decides to kill him as well and bury him in the backyard. Um, but through it all, so years and years later, the siblings still continue to keep contact with each other. And even though they were forced to hate each other while they were younger, because one would receive more abuse than the other, they all love each other in the end. And they are all able to come together because of that grief and because of that trauma. Um, And I think echoing what a lot of people, a lot of people, Joey and Mike and, and John, what you guys have said, and I'm sure other people in the world, but you know, I've always thought, and when I was younger, I would say this all the time. It's so silly, but you know, no, no individual is stuck on their own island. We are all interconnected 
um, regardless of, you know, where we live or our background, we all share the same history of being alive at the same time. And I think it's, you know, a responsibility we all have that, you know, I personally know people who have died of COVID. So the fact that someone in my family tells me that it's not real is just absolutely atrocious. Um, hearing people say, you know, like you always hear, you know, someone gets murdered, but it's never going to happen to me. Um, it happened to my family. So, you know, those are things that everyone kind of just lives in this little bubble of, you know, all of this bad stuff's never going to happen to me because I live in a great town and I have a great job and I have a great life and I have a great house. But I mean, it probably has happened to someone in your family at some point, but nobody ever talks about those things. So I think what is happening now is people are starting to talk about these hard things and it's bringing a lot of things to the forefront. Yeah, it's funny because, well, not funny, but um, one of the things that I've also kind of been thinking about is the the way that we are sort of in this space right now where we're all enduring this kind of shared cultural trauma, but at a place where we're also being forced to not connect to each other, right? Um, as as a as a property of that trauma, um, and I think that struggle is is driving a lot of um, the stories that we're connecting with and that are being told because right there's that there's this these like sort of two lanes of on the one hand um a a traumatic experience uh or a or a personal sort of existential angst or whatever it is and on the other hand this like feeling of detached loneliness and confusion and you know with with the last year right that that's really where our struggle has been is like we can't connect with each other right we can't seek out that that sort of like human connection the way that we used to um for the time being and at the same time like people around us are dying or like getting extremely ill and having a hard time recovering from it and um or like you know people that we know are losing people that they love and and um it's this it's this incredible like you know uh sort of double-edged frustration that we're that we're navigating yeah, that's that's interesting because that makes me think of like um, pre and post COVID art and stuff that's going to come out after we have now this in our reference. Um, and it also made me think, well, I was getting ready for the show. Like I've been going through a lot of my old comics and I've been like, oh, well, is there anything that really stands out that sort of changed the landscape in the last couple of years? And I was like, oh, The Walking Dead, like The Walking Dead, like it would be a completely different show today. Uh, and, you know, unfortunately it can't yeah. be, but yeah. you go back and look at it and it's like, first of all, I don't want to get ruffle any feathers. I'm not here to talk shit about stuff, but like, I just didn't like that show. I felt like it was wasting all these opportunities of what we're talking about. Um, like, Mike, here did you read is, the comics or no? I, I did read the, I read like the first hundred uh, comics. Okay. Um, first hundred issues. But I expected more from the show. I expected them to veer off more emotionally. Like they would have sort of more opportunity to use acting and, and like, you know what I'm saying? Like there, there's still that gore level, but it just didn't hit me mentally the way I expected it to because of all these things we're talking about. Like it didn't, oh man, it just didn't feel like it was um, dealing 
with stuff. Like it wasn't really dealing with trauma and grief and depression and things like that. To me, like it just didn't come across. It came across more as like this obvious sort of adventure show from week to week of some type. And I don't know. I just feel like it's unfortunate because that show people love it. I mean, and that's fine. And that's great. But I just feel like it missed this chance to be one of the ultimates, you know, one of the uh, like undeniables. But I, yeah. And in my book, I wish it was. That's all. You know, I feel like when when John and I did our first podcast, Sports or Starters, the show we talked about more than any other is Dexter, which shout out Dexter coming back. Hello, Lumber Dex. Uh, John, we have to do an episode of that. Even if it's not about actually about the show, we just need to talk about it because like, I don't want to watch it, but I'm going to watch it. But I feel Absolutely. like yeah. Yeah. since Dexter, the show that I've spent the most time trying to figure out where it absolutely dropped the ball was The Walking Dead. And I think that, and I stopped watching it like four years ago, like a while ago, right? I can't believe it's still on. I think it's maybe it's final season or whatever. With like two spinoffs, though. Like there's yeah. Fear of the Walking Dead, and then there's another one. So I watched the first season of Fear, and I'm like, I don't need this either. So I read every issue of the comic. I think the the best thing that I can surmise about why this show never really excelled is I think it was held back in two ways. I think it was held back because it was on cable as opposed to like premium cable. So like, when Negan shows up in the show, I was like, oh, you neutered like this unhinged maniac. And just like Jeffrey Dean Morgan is good, but like I he it wasn't my Negan, essentially. And I think that was number one. And like you can't really go as extreme with everything. And I feel like that was kind of the point of a character like that. And then number two, I think that the it was just too beholden to the comic. Like I think that what when the show was at its best was when it was doing things that were original to the story like there was a sequence in like season four or five maybe where like beth is in a hospital like that was all brand new i'm like this is cool like even without having read the comic i think at that point i was like this feels new and like cohesive and like exciting in a way and then like you know when i eventually wound up reading the comic you would look at like season two which i think a lot of people don't like where they're at the farm for the entire season and like that's like half an issue in the comics it's like why did you spend 13 hours here like they go to the farm they're like oh there's nothing here we got to go they leave and it's like why did we spend all of season two here like i think adapting anything and like we've talked about this on like every show that we've done adapting anything is like almost impossible but like I think The Walking Dead just had such great source material and it feels like you were saying like such an easy metaphor to like really mine for whatever you want to do with it just never could cross that line into, you know, being like a plus must watch TV, whatever. It was like a ratings bonanza, you know, relative for, for cable, but like. I don't know that it was ever good, really. I mean, it was good, but not like really good. Yeah, I agree. I And Mike, it's funny when you said that um, it would be a different show if it was made now. Like I, I've, I've thought about that a lot lately um, about sort of like what, the the way that the breakout happens in the show and in the in the world and like looking at, you know, what happens when there's a global pandemic in real life in America, it's like, you just have everybody the, going around being like, ah, getting bit. By, uh, just, get, just get bit. Get it over with, yeah, you know. There'd be no show. There'd be no show. There'd, there'd no be one no be show. Left. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think it, you know, in general, it does say some, it, like, it has some interesting premises. And I think it's it's so busy trying to um, cover all of them that it never really focuses on one enough. Um, the, the one thing that I do think it's useful for is um, in in sort of, showing what the collapse of civilization really would be like um because 
you know, minus the zombies, like there's a really good chance that we're headed down that road, right? And that and that we will we will have a future where humanity won't be extinct, but it will be deeply cut down in population and if all of the infrastructure of modern life that we have built will 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 no longer function for a very long time, right? And you know, I think the the series does well when it when it does focus on the fact that like the zombies aren't the problem right like the zombies aren't the bad guy here um, who's the real walking dead john <laughs> exactly um it's us it is us and, and oh it was us okay <laughs> <laughs> and i think i think the um w- when the show was at its best um sort of in the in the middle seasons there i also stopped watching it like three years ago um when it was at its best, it was when it was was really doubling down on that idea, and and um, I think that's a really important theme to cover and story to tell. But um, again, I, I agree with you. I think The Walking Dead would be a very different show if it was made with what we know now, right? Um, I wonder. I really do wonder if like if they would even get greenlit in a way. Like, I wonder if if people are hesitant to like put absolutely bleak content out into the world well, right now it, it's funny you say that joey because i just finished watching the new version of the stand miniseries which was i think on cbs or one mm-hmm. of the streams one of the all access yeah i think so yeah yeah and they don't shy away from anything and that like it's about a plague that you know brings about the end of the world and it's got all the worst parts of you know what that means right like uh i don't know if anybody you know i'm sure everybody here is familiar with the story of the stand has either read it or seen the miniseries or something no like that, i'm not like, and I've, I've sort of steered away but oh, I, okay. I want to at some point but i don't i don't I actually don't know what it's about okay um basically a plague is released called captain tricks and it wipes out i think like 99 percent of the people on the planet um a lot of them happen to survive in america um half of them are seduced and brought to las vegas for like by like this evil guy and half of them are brought to boulder colorado boulder colorado by um by like a good person and then you know it's like basically what happens at the after the world has ended um and these are the only people left to build society like can they get along is what you know are they going to wipe each other out what's going to happen and the miniseries is graphic like very graphic like like dump trucks of dead bodies graphic you know so like that was finished i think they finished filming that the week before uh the march lockdown last year in hollywood uh-huh. And it was released last Christmas on demand. So, um, or like on, you know, CBS All Access. So they were cutting that and making it during the pandemic, you know, finishing it during the pandemic and released it during the pandemic. So I'm not sure people are, you know, it's weird, right? Like it's going to be hard to gauge what's in poor taste, you know, like that (laughs) is the source material. So like, and it was already a go. Is someone going to create a new version that might not be acceptable, but like, oh, this is based on something. So it'll be interesting to see how they navigate all that. Mike, one of the things, again, getting back to, to um, your point about The Walking Dead, the other thing that was interesting to me about, um, and, and also The Stand, actually, is is the, uh, the intersection of timing, which uh, plays a big role in the series that I chose as, as um, my, my candidate for this. Um, I, I was thinking a lot about the 
the things that really like got under my skin, the, like the, the the series that really sort of took up residence in my subconscious, right over the last uh, five years or so. And um, the first season of Westworld is is a big one. Uh, leftovers for sure. Um, you know, I thought about like The Handmaid's Tale, especially the first couple seasons of Handmaid's Tale, and uh, the 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 cultural relevance that it has right now um vikings is another series that is surprisingly has a lot to say about about right now as well um and is a fantastic series um and watchmen as well like you know all those things are are the ones that you know i would say like i i had like dreams about right like they 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 stuck with me for for a long time And, and i do think that for all the reasons that we've talked about like those series will remain um really informative to sort of capturing and, and remembering the emotional um sort of disposition of 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 this this peer we're experiencing um but the one that to me is the 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 one that sort of tells the story um again it is a in some weird way, a, um, a serendipity of, of timing. Um, uh, and that's the man in the high castle, which started in 2015 and is based on a, a Philip K. Dick book from, you know, a long time ago. And there was no, I don't, I don't think when they started making the series, you know, presumably in 2014 or whatever, I think the pilot actually even came out maybe in 2013. Um, so you know it had been in production and in development for for some time, and th- I don't think the rising tide of fascism as we have seen it sort of play out in America and continue to play out in America, I don't think that was on anybody's mind, um, at least not in any sort of you know overly conscious way when they started making that series and a lot of that series deals with big philosophical questions that, um, you know, are very Philip K. Dick in their, right, in their um, orientation. But as the series went on, it really did start to tackle head on, right, this question of what patriotism means and what being American means. And if there is a um, feasible and you know believable version of america that is controlled by nazis and it is stunning in the way that it portrays how and convinces how easy that is right like how you don't have to go very far and think very far to see how this might have happened um and and it has these very sort of stunning and stark lessons for um what we are what we are currently experiencing and and as a as a as a weird coincidence i hadn't actually thought about this when i sort of picked this as my as my um my winner so to speak but um is the is the frank spotnitz connection which is you know he was the showrunner of men in the high castle and he was also one of the um executive producers and chief writers of the x-files um so, so uh you know to me it's in it, he's he's i guess what lindelof is to, to to joey and you guys um to me it turns out that frank spotnitz is uh one of one of the the is the writer who has captured um sort of the the spirit of the moment uh 
for me. Well, it's it's funny how like just it seems like a, w- whether it's him or Lindelof or whoever, like it feels like there's just certain guys who get it, right? It's just like, oh yeah, like, and it's one of those things that's exciting about movies and TV. It's like I don't really care. I don't even need to know what the new thing's about. Like if if this person's name is on it, like it's worth at least checking out because there's something about the way they're able to capture the zeitgeist or whatever to tell a story that is, you know, fascinating. Have you guys seen that series? No. I, I saw a couple of episodes. I saw the f- first few episodes as well. I read the book and I was like, this is extremely different. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't, I didn't stop because I didn't like it. I just didn't really have a chance to get back to it. A lot of other, I think a lot of other shows just started popping up. Um, but I remember being, I remember it being uh, like the imagery just being overwhelming and uh, very fear-inducing as I was watching it. Jess, it's worth sticking with. I, I think especially you'd enjoy it um, because of the things that it covers and the stuff that you're interested in. Um, I it is it does divert from the book <laughs> um, a lot, right? But having said that, I think what's so interesting about it is that I mean Philip K. Dick is one of the most um, adapted writers <laughs> in the history of, or you know, recent Hollywood medium um, with you know Blade Runner, Minority Report, and Total Recall, and etc. 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 And he's very difficult to get right because there's a lot about Philip K. Dick that is um, just interesting on the surface, right? And and yeah, minority minority minority, uh, minority report Blade Runner they get a lot of the stuff right and 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 they're adapting a lot of the ideas but Dick has so many ideas in his books and they're 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 so cerebral um, that while the sort of uh, landscape of them is pretty easy to capture the underlying sort of ideas are are often. Um, overlooked and and what I think think is great about Man in the High Castle is that it, while it diverts a lot from the book, I think it is the most faithful Philip K. Dick adaptation ever made because of the way that it uses not just what he does in that book, but his entire sort of um, anti-fascist uh, moral philosophy. And and incorporates a lot of different ideas from a lot of his work into um, in, in, into this one thing, right? Um, it's it's also got incredible performances, and and Rufus Sewell as as John Smith um, is one of the best performances in a television show, I think, in 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 the last decade. Um, he brings complexity and humanity to a character who is. God, fundamentally un- unredeemable right he is a he is a a fairly vicious nazi but he's not a caricature and he and none of the characters are caricatures and that's what is uh, so kind of chilling about it too is that sort of seeing nazis in america um openly right and 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 fly- proudly and being in charge and being the patriots um i remember I was watching, I think, season two when Charlottesville happened. And it, it like, that's when it was just sort of, it all sort of came to, it, it, it was almost too real and like too painful, but also so kind of illuminating to um, seeing what was happening in Charlottesville in kind of a different light um, as, as saying like, oh yeah, it's really actually very easy 
for people to feel comfortable flying the the you know the blood flag of the Reich in in the middle of an American city, and we are way too close, right, to to um, some version of of this vision uh, that that the show is presenting. Yeah, I definitely want to uh, finish watching that series. There's a couple out there that I sort of false started, you know, <laughs> that I just never really got back to. But but hearing more about you know talking about how it's not just adapting the book, but it's sort of adapting Dick in general, like Philip K. Dick's sort of his alt not 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 that it's adapting all of his stories, but his ideas and and et cetera, et cetera. Like I feel like that's what Noah Hawley's doing in Fargo, where it's not per se, you know. Fargo the movie it's more of like this is the Coen Brothers universe like he's playing in the sandbox of not that people are going to show up but like he's referencing everything that (laughs) has that DNA you know and that's sort of what makes the uh that's like the closet that that show is hung in you know and I think it works extremely well he does a bit of that with Legion as well you know like he he picks and chooses what he likes about the Marvel Universe X-Men history and adapts it the way he wants to and it and it fits really well like that. I think when you can sort of break out of the confines of, you know, doing it the way it's been done already and just doing a straight adaptation, um, you open yourself up to, you know, telling old stories in new ways and newer stories. And it just it just frees you in a way, I feel, to tell the story better ultimately. Well I think it's a good way to do that because otherwise it's like you're 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 face with the undue pressures of like decades of history it's like oh god how do i compete with this but if you're able to like look at it as like a positive like let me just play in this world you know you can have some fun with it yeah um all right so on that note um you guys if if sometime in the next six months um try and watch one or two seasons of man in the high castle maybe we'll we'll have a we'll have a sequel uh at the end of the season to this episode where we'll we'll talk about some of the stuff um that maybe some of us have not seen. Uh, nobody has to watch all of The Walking Dead, so forget that. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, if there's something that we've brought up here that any of you guys um, haven't 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 seen, uh, maybe we can have a, a follow up to this at the end of the season and um, and talk uh, about about our impressions of that stuff. But I think all of you would um, really. I mean, I'm not going to say like, but uh, be appreciate appreciative of of man in the high castle uh regardless of how sort of eerily uh predictive it is of this weird and uncertain and crazy time that we find ourselves in with people storming the capital and uh they did what etc yeah sorry late breaking news <laughs> uh and you know we got march 4th to look forward to which is um just <laughs> Just two days after this episode is goes live, uh, Donald Trump will be sworn in as the nineteenth president or whatever it is. I don't fucking know what people think, but uh, yeah, March fourth is the next, uh, the real inauguration. Um, so look out for that, folks. <laughs> yeah, we, be... you, you could either watch the next episode of Man in High Castle or some CPAC coverage. It's, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's frankly Rufus Sewell is a more uh, watchable nazi than, than than ted cruz is so um that's the man in black right is that him huh what from lost oh no Titus Welliver. oh that's Titus Titus Welliver. Welliver. okay who's rufus sewell what do i know him from lots of things dark city 
Oh, that's right. Yes. Okay. Perfect. That's oh, what I was cool. thinking of. Yep. Mm-hmm. A knight's okay. a knight's tale. No, he's phenomenal in that. I mean, everybody in that show is phenomenal, but he is. Um, that's one of the greatest performances. That it's ridiculous. Titus Welliver, who played uh, a unnamed imperial officer in the Mandalorian this past season, yeah. Um, because when your name is Titus Welliver, you don't need a Star Wars name. That's already really? a Star Wars name. <laughs> Good point. Uh, anyways, Mandalorian is great if you don't want to worry about anything and just, you know. I got a, yeah, I got a light wreck. Can I leave it with a lighter Let's recommendation? Light wreck. Go watch, go watch yeah. some Baby Yoda. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> but also on like the space tip and it's on amazon prime now it started on this show started on sci-fi a few years ago and i just fell in love with it instantly the expanse there's like a war brewing between earth mars and the asteroid belt there's um it's based off a tabletop game which became a series of books which became this incredible show and you know it's it's got its heavy moments but like it's more or less from what i understand uh from from the amount of battlestar galactica i watched it's sort of like scratching that itch you know but and and uh that's a lot of fun um a lot of cool shit happens in that show i definitely recommend people check that out and funny enough uh again if we'd done this 10 years ago uh joey would have said lost and i would have said battlestar galactica so um joey what's your what's your light recommendation for those of us who want to escape to i don't know i was just trying to think of it everything everything good that i've seen lately has been heavy and dark so uh come back to me well i see i i I hear you're watching a show called the simpsons it's good yeah but that's boring everybody knows the simpsons i'm the only person on earth who hasn't seen the simpsons yet that's what makes it exciting to me (laughs) i also need to know like how how i've known you for this long without you having watched the simpsons and me not realizing that it's it's um I must have made a bunch of Simpsons references to you that you pretended we to We all get. did. We all did, and whether whether we knew it or not. So weird. Uh, Jess, you got something light you want to recommend? No, like Joey, I'm, I'm watching a bunch of heavy shit. Jesus. Oh, man. <laughs> just tanked my segment. <laughs> um, Dickinson is kind of not... Wait, wait, wait. I have a, I have a good heavy. idea. But yes, yes. Dick, I, I second Dickinson, but I have a good idea. But please go on. Sorry. I just I got excited that I thought of something. But yes, Dickinson, no, I, yeah, I... No, go ahead. Don't lose Dickinson. it. Uh, Ted Lasso on Apple TV Plus is the most yes. joyous, positive, wonderful show I've ever seen. It's just, so it's amazing. so, it's, it's, it's overwhelmingly joyous uh, and gets, it seems to get soccer right. So watch Ted Lasso. <laughs> um, it's great. It's genuinely one of the, one of my favorite shows of all time. And I've only, like, I, as soon as I finished watching, it, I was like, oh, I need to see this again. Like, it's, it's so good. That show made me want to be a better person. Yeah. And there's something to be said for that. Um, not that you need to be a better person, but you know. <laughs> I've already watched it twice. <laughs> it's good that it actually does reassure me that in um, these very depressing times, that people are still up for something that is um, unapologetically gleeful. So you know, there there is that, and I you know I think the 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 Mandalorian also is a is a great success as far as that goes. It's just it's a it's a show that is like. It's dramatic without at all being bleak, right? And it's it's got it's just it's it's just fun and escapist and without being without being stupid. Although I do feel like you must have felt the first like six months or a year or maybe the first like you know eight years or whatever. However old no Teddy would be seven or eight now because it was right when we were doing the podcast. So seven mm-hmm. is she is she about to turn eight? She will be eight in November. So she's okay. seven and a half. 
I feel like watching The Mandalorian feels like you must have felt as a dad for most of your life, or just like, please don't let anything happen to this beautiful, sweet <laughs> child. I would be absolutely gutted if something, if, if a single hair on his head gets displaced. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I get it. <laughs> don't you touch my 50-year-old child uh, who is more powerful than anybody. Yeah, not worried he was born 50, but... Uh... <laughs> No, and it's true. There is, there is, there's a, um, there's a genuine like experience of parenthood that that show gets. That is, is yeah. we don't, we don't, we don't talk about um, enough. But it really does kind of weirdly nail down um, uh, the experience of like the anxiety of oh no, all the things are going <laughs> yeah. wrong all the time. Yeah, and let's face it, like Star Wars. The worst father in the world, right? Darth Vader, pretty much. So really needed to sort of redeem itself as far as parenting images as far as as, as far as I'm concerned. Somebody wrote a convincing essay recently that like Star Wars is just about shitty and good dads and like that's literally <laughs> the entire series uh in 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 a nutshell and uh yeah something to be said for that. That's also what the Bible is about so you know whatever. Um lots of stuff. And honestly it. most literature, yeah. <laughs> most literature, yeah. Um uh not Lord of the Rings. Yeah, Sauron's a bad dad. Well, he, well, it is kind of about lineage, right? And like sins of the father. That's true, right? Yeah, the sins of the father thing is a is an old is it old you know mythology. And as Lost movie. taught us, all the best cowboys have daddy issues. That was an idea. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyways, good talk. This is really really fun. Um, I'm looking forward to this season. We're gonna hear from Jess and Mike again in a couple weeks um, in an upcoming episode. So look out for that, but we'll be back to every Wednesday for the time being. And before we depart, now is the chance that if you guys would like to peddle some wares, you may, you may peddle your wares. So if you guys got any wares to peddle, go ahead and peddle them. Every time you hear an episode of this, a day earlier, Montez was listening to us with the new episode of Too Fast, Too Forever. <laughs> Every Tuesday, we talk about the Fast and Furious movies and other movies. This lap, we're talking about Tokyo Drift and all movies centered in and around Asia. So today, as this comes out, yesterday's episode was about Game of Death, the Bruce Lee film Game of Death, which is not good. But the Game of Death Redux, which is a recut of the, sh- of the film, the footage that Bruce Lee shot fantastic so we talked about that yesterday too fast to forever.com for everything you need to know there season three third time's a charm officially kicking off this march with the godfather redux the death of michael corleone uh, you can catch that show the third of every month and also uh, the monsters that made us with me and dan cologne where we look at the history of universal monster movies that is the final friday of every month check that out the latest episode is the invisible man so listen or i will throttle you well, i think today as this comes out is the third so today michael corleone out there we in go. your podcast feed absolutely oh yeah today is the check third. it out yeah, yeah yeah you're right you're right so tomorrow Tomorrow okay. and tomorrow is also the, that's it's tomorrow and not the day after that the that the next uh, presidential inauguration takes place. So that's exciting. Yep. <laughs> big day, big day in America tomorrow. Montez, plug uh, my podcast. Yeah, so um, Joey is doing a lot of really great things over at Too Fast Too Forever. Thank um, you. I am <laughs> I am currently in the the early. Well, I guess it's the late summer of 2020, and those episodes are amazing. I have listened to every single episode up until that point. 
Um, they're fantastic. So much so that I listen to them when I'm brushing my teeth, taking a shower, driving my car. You know, it's a lot of episodes, and I don't recommend anyone ever getting behind. Um, you will be publicly <laughs> shamed, um, but it's worth it to catch up. They're hilarious. Um, Thank you. I love you guys. Um, Thank you, Montez. I, <laughs> I also have um, a blog that I write mostly just for myself. My current release schedule is Tuesdays and Saturdays. Um, I write about movies that I've seen, books that I've read. Um, they're all my own personal opinions, and Joey probably disagrees with 98% of them. I think so. <laughs> Hopefully a year from now, when we're doing the beginning of season three, uh, we'll all be much happier and much more optimistic. But it's going to be a fun season. Good stuff coming out. We'll see you guys next week. Thank you, Jess. Thank you, Joey. Thank you, Mike. Um, and thank you for listening. Thanks, John. Thanks, John.